Alhamdulillah Inna alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina Wa min sayyiati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillalahu Wa man yudlil falahadiyalah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah Wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu rasuluh Ya ayyuhal ladhina aman Attaqullaha haqqa tuqatihi ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار وإنما توعدون لآت وما أنتم بمعجزين Allah is whom we praise, we praise Him and we thank Him. And we seek refuge in Him from the evil of our souls and the evil of our actions. Whomsoever He guides, none can misguide Him. And whomsoever He leads astray, none can guide to the truth. And I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship but God Almighty alone, and that Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, is his slave and messenger. O you who believe, be mindful of Allah as He should be minded, and do not die except as Muslims. O mankind, be mindful of your Lord who created you from one soul and from that soul its mate and from those two spread many men and many women. And be mindful of those you ask your rights from and be mindful of the wombs that bore you. For indeed, Allah is ever watchful over you. O you who believe, be mindful of Allah and speak the truth. He will guide you to righteous deeds and forgive you of your sins and whomsoever obeys Allah and his messenger has achieved the greatest achievement. The best of speech is Allah's speech. And the best of guidance is Muhammad's guidance, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the worst of affairs are everything newly introduced and everything newly introduced into faith is an innovation and every innovation goes astray and everything which goes astray leads to the hellfire and that which has been promised will come to pass and there is nothing which can be done to prevent it. It is narrated in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed as well as the Sunan of Ibn Majah from Imran ibn Husayn radiallahu ta'ala anhum. Qala anna Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ra'a rajulan fi yadihi halqatun min sufr. Faqala lahu ma hadhi? Qala hadhi min al-wahina. فقال صلى الله عليه وسلم انزعها فإنها لا تزيدك إلا وهنا فإنك إن مت وهي عليك ما أفلحت أبدا In a tradition narrated in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed and the Sunan of Ibn Majah from Imran ibn Hussein that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم saw a man who had a copper ring on his arm So he said to him what is this He said this is from Al-Wahina, the, the weakness. People used to think this was a sort of condition that they had. The Prophet ﷺ said, take it off. 
remove it because it will only increase you in weakness. And if you were to die and that was upon you, then you would never be successful. What was the Prophet ﷺ instructing this companion who placed something without understanding how it functioned or worked on his body for healing? He was instructing him, he ﷺ was instructing him that we don't base our practice on anecdote. We're not basing our faith on he said, he said, she said, or things that people just think they heard or know work. Whether it's in the realm of medicine, life, things are either going to be known through experience and ex experimentation, through scientific proof, or through faith. This thing that this person had, placing a piece of copper on his body to somehow protect him from some made-up illness had no basis whatsoever. This is what you call practicing by anecdote. The problem with anecdote, the problem with basing things, basing your, your practice and what you do in life off of these types of things, is that you become emotionally attached to what was said or what was, you were told to do. Well, I do this because my mother did it, my father did it, and their grandfather and grandmother did it. It prevents you from actually verifying whether that thing is number one, effective, or number true is even, or number two is even true. We take it as a personal slight when someone tells us that that is not appropriate or something that shouldn't be done. Here the Prophet ﷺ negated that. In Za'ha, فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَزِيدُكَ إِلَّا وَهْنًا Remove it, because it will only increase you in weakness. You have some illness, go see a doctor. Right? You have some spiritual malady, some spiritual malady, read Al-Fatiha. Something that's known from the, from the deen or known from life and proven to be effective. And there are a lot of things that go into this. But today, I don't want to talk to you about homemade medicine and folk medicine and things like that. Although we all do it. Every time someone gets sick, everyone tells us a recipe to get to cure the common cold. Take two garlic and smash it with some onion and eggs, add some honey and after a while you got kufta. That's not what we're here to talk about today. We do the same thing when we teach our faith to our children. When we talk to the, young, to the youth in our community, we many times don't have the appropriate answers for them. And so we tell them things that will scare them. We tell them things that we think are going to shock them into being a quote-unquote good Muslim. And what happens? When they become teenagers, when they become adults, we start to cry and say, Our sons and daughters, they're not shy from doing those things that were haram. Do you know why? We ourselves didn't stop ourselves from teaching them things that were baseless. 
things that were unsubstantiated. And it takes us as parents to admit when we speak to our children, you know what, I don't have the answer to that, but why don't we find out? Why don't we read together? Why don't you research that and bring me your answer and then we'll learn, I'll learn from you. It takes a certain level of humility with our children so that we don't fall into those types of things. If we as a tradition, as Muslims, are only concentrated on self-preservation, on making sure that the status quo stays the status quo, then we will never be critical enough to correct ourselves and advance as a community. Because when you are self-critical, you are worried about the welfare of you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. But when you are worried about self-preservation, you're worried about protecting the here and now with disregard to anybody that comes after that. Now, there are many things that we do, many things that we talk about when we use anecdote. And we have to realize that when we do that, we are creating a third source of Islam. It becomes the Quran, the Sunnah, and then whatever I said you're supposed to do. And I actually took the last few months and spoke to many people in our community, both young and old, and asked them, what are the things that you experienced growing up as Muslims in the United States that your parents or grandparents would tell you, and how did that affect you? One person said, I was told that if any of my hair came out of my hijab, then shaitan would come and pee in my hijab at night. And therefore, I was to always make sure my hair was inside. A young man said, I was always told that if I didn't fold the corner of my prayer rug over after I finished praying, then shaitan would come and pray on the prayer rug. He said, it didn't make sense to me. Don't we want him to pray? <coughs> another, another woman told me, she said, I, never, I did not pray for many years. Now listen to this. She says, I did not pray for many years because the women in my family used to tell me because you don't wear hijab, your prayers are not accepted, even if you wear it when you're praying. Completely false, baseless statement. Yes. Hijab is mandatory for women to wear. And it's mandatory inside and outside of Salah. But if a woman doesn't wear it outside and then she decides to wear it and pray, her prayer is still valid. One of them does not have an effect on the other. One of them does not negate the other. But we have prevented people from practicing even a part of, this, a part of their faith. How? By mandating that it's either 100% or zero. And that is a form of extremism. To say that it's either 100% or zero is completely against the sunnah of the Prophet We other have other silly things that we, that we find that we think are funny when we hear them. But I can tell you, I have friends in their 30s and 40s up until now, they remember this about Sunday school. We were told that pancakes were haram. We were told you're not allowed to eat turkey because it's making fun of Muslims from Turkey. We were told that you can't call it hamburger, you have to call it a beef burger. All of these silly semantic things 
that we don't pay attention to. And we tell it to our children to either control them or scare them. And do you know what it does? It neither controls them nor scares them. It makes them feel that their faith is baseless, that their faith is silly, that their faith doesn't have the answers to meet the challenges that they face in school and in work and in life, when in fact, it does. So we have to be very careful and understand how counterproductive it is to speak without knowledge, to speak without understanding what we're saying. Now, that's concentrating many times in, in when we speak in our community, right? We, we concentrate on the older generation. We try to put all of the blame on the older generation. We said the, the aunties and the uncles, the ammus and the, whoever, we try to always project onto them. Many of the people that are young in our community. Oh, they only taught us things that were silly and unacceptable. But the youth in our community will do the same thing. There's a, there's a, a norm of a platitudinal Islam. An Islam that is so broad that it becomes meaningless. So, uh, so, so, so accepting that it has no meaning. The categories of Islam, the rules of Islam are only for you when they benefit you. And when they're not, uh, this, I don't understand it or it's backwards or there's a problem with that. So we have vapid generalities, generalities that don't make any sense. And to give you an example, I had a friend, or I have a friend, who is a marriage counselor in a Muslim community, not here in Houston, but in another major city. And he said that while he was mediating a marriage, uh, a divorce settlement, the young lady came to him and said, I want half of everything and his 401k and alimony and child support, and the car, and the house. He can have everything else. He said, okay, sister, I just want to understand why do you feel that you, why do you feel that you deserve this? She said, Islam, duh. This is the attitude that people have instead of asking, what are my rights and responsibilities as a Muslim in marriage? in divorce, in business, in the masjid, at home, at school. We utilize it to benefit us and we toss it to the side when it does not benefit us. And that is two sides of the same coin of simply relying on something outside of, of, of our faith and of our heritage to decide what is appropriate and what should or should not be done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِي مَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتْ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears and know by your Lord they do not believe until they make you a judge, a mediator in all of their affairs on which they disagree. Then they don't find any hard, hardness in their heart from your decision and they submit 
wholeheartedly. Do you know why this is so important? Why it is so important as for us as parents to say to our children, when we don't know something, we don't know. When we're concerned, we say to them, I'm concerned, I love you, I love Islam, I love our faith, I want you to love it too. That has more of an effect than telling them something that will scare them. Telling them something that will feel that the message of Islam is only about being condemned to hell. Telling them something that won't meet their expectations of a rational, deep, and sophisticated faith. It is so important for us to embody humility. Whether we are young or old, whether we are uh, male or female, whether we, have, we are a parent or a child, we have to commit ourselves to giving greatness to the Sunnah of the Prophet to be giving greatness to our faith. Because if we do not, then the end result of this is Islam with no meaning. And every political cycle here in the United States, we see this become even more evident. Being a Muslim becomes an ethnicity. Being a Muslim becomes a color of your skin. Being a Muslim come, becomes wearing a hat or a hijab at certain times and nothing else. We become pawns for others with no meaning of our own. Islam without meaning. Hijab without modesty. A beard without masculinity. We have mosques with no attendees. Deeds without proper intention. We have a tariqah with no aqidah. We have a manhaj with no iman. We have Islam as a culture, but without Allah and His Messenger. أقول ما تسمعون وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين من كل ذنب فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم Alhamdulillahi wahda, wa salatu wa salamu ala man la nabiya ba'da, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man attaba'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin. All praise is due to Allah and may he send his peace and blessings upon his messenger, his family, his companions and his follow and all those who follow them in righteousness until the day of judgment. Ameen. There are many verses in the Quran that impart to us the importance of understanding our faith and give us reference points for understanding our faith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ أَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولُ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ Say, obey Allah and His Messenger. And if they turn away, then say, Allah does not love those who disbelieve. وَأَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And obey Allah and His Messenger so that you can be shown mercy. 
Your obedience to Allah and His Messenger is not just in what you do, but many times in what you do not do. It's in understanding that the simplicity of Islam is its beauty. And we don't have to complicate it through our personal opinions or through projecting onto it things to either scare or control those that we love. That by expressing our love of Allah and His Messenger, that we will teach that love to our children as well. Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tuqaddimu bayni yadayillahi wa rasoolihi wa attaqullaha inna Allah simiyun alim. O you who believe, do not place yourselves before God and His Messenger. And be mindful of Him and be mindful of Allah for indeed He is all hearing and all knowledgeable. He imparts us to, 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 to research and understand and accept that which we have been given. When he says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ And that which the Messenger gives you, take it. And that which he, he, he forbids you from, abstain from it. Now sometimes we hear things we don't understand. We hear things that are narrated that are particular to a time and a place. They can be understood in their contexts. But we don't just wipe it off the board. We don't say that it's not important. It's, part, it's important. It's part of our, a part of our Islam. It's something that we should respect. Even if we don't understand it, what do we do? We take our time to then go. Ask the people of remembrance, the people of knowledge, if you do not know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا There was for you in the Messenger of God a beautiful example. A beautiful example for who? لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا For whoever hopes in Allah and in the last day and remembers Allah much. Hopes in Allah. Remembers, hopes in the last day and remembers Allah much. Ask yourself, when, act, when, when you act out, you are the ambassador of Islam to your family. And your family is the ambassador of Islam to your community. And we as a community are the ambassadors of Islam to this society. Every time you ask, act, ask yourself, am I acting according to the uswa hasana? Am I acting according to the best of examples or something other than that? If we hope in Allah, if we hope in good on the last day, if we want to remain remembrant and reminded of Allah and by Allah at all times, then we have to follow in the Prophet footsteps. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبُهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبُهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let those who differ with his judgment, who differ with his, with his command, be warned that a trial could afflict them or painful punishment come to them. And Imam Ahmed was asked about this verse, of this verse and he said, somebody said, what is the meaning of fitna here, a trial? He said, fitna is, is shirk. He said, well then how does that fit? He said, because when a person consistently differs with the man who was sent to bring him guidance, then where is the God that he's taking? How is he obeying Allah? 
it takes you down a slippery slope where you're always contrarian instead of saying, let me humble myself, step back, ask, and then learn. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَتَعَدَّ حُدُودَهُ يُدْخِلْهُ نَارًا خَالِدًا فِيهَا وَلَهُ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ And whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger and goes beyond the boundaries that they have set, then he will enter him into hellfire forever and he will have a painful punishment. And there is no greater, there is no greater going beyond the bounds than disbelieving in God and associating partners with Him. And you have to ask yourself, how then does the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ function to protect us from going beyond those bounds? How is giving greatness to the Prophet ﷺ and his legacy and his Sunnah and his tradition, how does that preserve for us our Islam? Let's conclude with this. There are three main points about Ta'zim al-Sunnah about aggrandizing and holding in esteem the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. One of them we all know, and that is, it is recognized as the second source of Islam after the Qur'an. And indeed, it is an equal source to the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, I have been given the Qur'an and the like of it along with it. So the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is the application of the Qur'an. Someone asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, كَيْفَ كَانَ خُرُقُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَتْ كَانَ خُرُقُهُ الْقُرْآنِ How was the character of the Prophet ﷺ? She said his character was the Qur'an. So in that perfect example that we have of him, we have commands and prohibitions, we have recommendations and admonitions, we have best practices and we have things that we should abstain from. And knowing all of that allows us to better implement those things that we have been recommended or, or ordered to do, prohibited or admonished from. But that's not all. Number two, giving greatness to the sunnah and its role in protecting our faith means that we have a level of confidence in the message of the Prophet ﷺ, even when we don't understand it. A man came to Salman al-Farisi, and this story is narrated by Tirmidhi in his Sunan, as well as Abu Dawud in his Sunan. A man came to Salman al-Farisi, and he said, Your Prophet taught you how to do everything, even go to the bathroom. He said, that's right. Notice what he said, yeah, that's right, he did. And he told us that when we go in, we step in with our left foot. And when we walk out, we walk out with our right foot. And that we say dua when we go in, and we say dua when we go out. And not to face the qibla while we're using it, and not to turn our backs to it, and to clean ourselves afterwards, and to remain hygienic. And if there was a bird flapping its wings in the sky, and we needed to know about it, Muhammad wasallam would have told us about it. So there's a certain beauty and a certain necessity for us to understand that beauty. But it won't come if we're contrarian. And we think, we characterize the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as 
things from the old country, things in the yellow books, things that people used to do a long time ago. No, some things are contextualized. Some of those rulings change with time and place. But the greatness of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ remains in the basics of Islam that teach us the hygiene of the heart, the hygiene of the mind, the hygiene of the body, to worship God alone with a clean heart and a clean body, and to dedicate our lives to that always remains the same. The idea of Tawheed always remains the same. The idea of Iman always remains the same. And the idea of the rulings that come along with that remain the same as well. Things in our daily lives might change, but those things remain the same. Now the third point, and I think this is perhaps the most important one that we can walk away to get today with and understand. The third point has to do with what does it mean to love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, You, O Messenger of Allah, you are more loved, beloved to me than anything except myself. The Prophet وسلم, said, La ya Umar. No, Umar, it's not like that. One of you will not believe until I become more beloved to him than even him, than everything, even himself. And in the hadith of Anas ibn Malik, the Prophet وسلم, said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. None of you truly believe until I become more beloved to him than his father and his son and all people on earth. Umar رضي الله تعالى عنه, he thought about it. And then he said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Al-an wallahi anta ahabba ilayya hatta min nafsi. He said, now I swear to God, you are more beloved to me even more than myself. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Al-an ya Umar, Al-an. Now you've got it, Umar, now you've got it. What does this mean? We all have heard this hadith numerous times growing up. Numerous times in Sunday schools and khutab and everything else. But what does it mean? Does it mean that we love the Prophet ﷺ like we love our fathers or more? Like we love our mothers or more? Like we love our children or more? In that sense of it being a family relation, that's part of it. But even greater than it is the realization that we ourselves are not able to always understand what is best for us. Why do we love our mothers and fathers? Because they teach us morals. They teach us proper action. They catapult us, they, they're, they're our catalyst for a better life. So loving the Prophet ﷺ is your humility in saying, there is a standard that is outside of myself. I will not rely solely on what I think, but I have an external standard. I have an ethical standard other than my own that I live up to. I can admit that I'm wrong because there's a standard for me to live up to. I can know when I'm right because there's a standard for me to live up to. When we don't have that external standard, do you know what becomes the standard? Our hawa, our desires, our nafs. Whatever we feel is going to be best and not 
what Allah and His Messenger have dictated are to be. Yes, we can know some of the good and some bad through our rationale, through our, through our, our intellect, but we can't know everything. And so our love of the Prophet ﷺ says, we admit that we are not complete and that we are always striving to become better people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shurna fi zumrat nabiyyina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resurrect us in the company of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah maghfir lana dhunubna wa israfana fi amrina wa thabbit aqdamana ya rabbil alameen. Allah forgive us of our sins and our transgression and our affairs and make our feet firm, O Lord of the worlds. Allah mahdina wa ahdi abnaina wa banatina wa ummahatina wa abaina وَأَزْوَاجِنَا وَزَوْجَاتِنَا وَجِدَّاتِنَا وَأَجْدَادِنَا يَا رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ O Allah, guide us and guide our mothers and fathers, our sons and our daughters, our grandmothers and our grandfathers. O Allah, guide us. Allahumma ihdi jiranina wa zumalaina ya rabbil alameen wa hadha al-mujtama'i khasatan wa jami'i al-mujtama'ati amatan ya rabbil alameen. O Allah, guide our neighbors and our co-workers. Guide this community of ours and all other communities around the world. Allahumma wafiqna al-tiba'i nabiyik ya rabbil alameen. Allah, give us the strength to be able to follow your Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma ja'alna min muhibbi muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah, make us from amongst those that love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those that follow in the footsteps of him and his companions, his family, and all those who follow them in righteousness. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ibadullah, inna Allah ya'muru bil adli wal ihsani wa ita'i dil qurba wa yanha'an al-fahshai wal munkari wal baghi ya'idhikum la'allakum tadakkaroon. Udhkuru